It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Horrific, nightmarish, nasty and pernicious. No, we're not talking about Article 50, but a year on from the introduction of the pensions taper for higher earners, that's how advisors are describing the changes. How is it affecting you? As the new tax year approaches, veteran wealth manager Paul Killick joins me for some last-minute tips on setting up investments for your children and grandchildren. And do you have a holiday home overseas? Our money mentor, Lindsay Cook, has been investigating why those with sterling-denominated mortgages still face currency charges. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast on personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, and I'll be giving you this week's money news in downloadable form. It's been nearly a year since the introduction of the pensions taper, meaning higher earners and their tax advisors are having tantrums. The new rules mean the annual allowance governing what can be saved tax-free into a pension is now as little as £10,000 per year for higher earners. So what has the first 12 months of the taper tantrum taught us? Joining me to discuss is Josephine Cumbo, pensions correspondent for the FT, who's written all about this issue in FT Money this week. Welcome, Joe. Hello. Firstly... This isn't about the restrictions on how much can be saved into a pension coming down. It's the administrative complexity and the risk of really punitive tax charges that's causing the tantrums. Yes, let's just set out how the taper works differently from other cuts that we've seen in previous years to pensions, annual allowances. We may recall that the last cut to the annual allowance was from 50000 to 40000 And while it might not have been popular with many people, it was fairly straightforward and transparent. You mm. knew that there was a reduction. It was quite clear. In contrast, the taper is devilishly complex in the way it works. What happens, you can see that after you start earning over £150,000 a year in total income, your annual allowance will start to be whittled down from £40,000 to £10,000, up until a point of 210k when there is a floor of £10,000. But the way it is really tricky for everybody is that an individual's annual allowance can only be determined by their income within the same tax year. So unless you have a crystal ball and mm-hmm. you know what your earnings are going to be that year because they include everything else in addition to set salary, so that could be rental income, that could be dividends, that could Mm. be shares. You don't know what your annual allowance is going to be. And it's this sort of guesswork that is causing major headaches for people. And you found that some employers have responded to that uncertainty by saying, well, we're just going to cap all pensions contributions for our workers at 10,000 per year so that nobody will be caught out by the taper. 
Well, employers are involved and they are engaged, and some of them are engaged in this, because their employer pension contributions could actually push the employee to in the line of the taper because they do count towards total income. So ideally, employers should have had discussions with their very high-earning employees, those who are earning over 110 grand a year, to discuss how they can avoid getting caught in the taper zone stung by tax charges. But what we've found from the responses I had to the questions I put to advisors was that some employees are just getting paralysed mm. by the complexity of the taper. They don't know what their employees are earning outside of the workplace, so they can't really give them good advice. So in response to that, they're going, adopting a safety first approach for these very high earners and saying, look, cap contributions at 10k in the workplace and that means you won't be exposed whatever happens to a tax charge some other employers and other organizations are engaged and they're trying to sort of make arrangements for individuals on a more bespoke basis and that could include giving them cash in lieu of yes that's become quite popular it's one of the things that have come back from the surveys that cash in lieu of pension has become quite an emerging trend what employers are doing are offering a cash allowance the money that was earmarked to go into a pension as a contribution is being paid into salary because of the taper to avoid the taper issues but employers are also looking at other savings vehicles outside of pensions in the workplace such as corporate ices sitting alongside a pension so the money that was earmarked for for the pension is instead going into the ISA where it's not at risk of being hit by the taper charge. And of course, that ISA allowance, readers, is just about to go up to 20,000 a year as the pensions taper comes down. But finally, Joe, always great to have you on the podcast. Couldn't let you leave without telling us your wider views on pensions tax relief, given the evidence you've been collecting from advisors. My view is that this is, while it's causing problems for higher earners, that the government isn't going to listen to any calls for it to be scrapped because it's the background at the moment is very much it needs to recoup savings from the next U-turn and that it's not going to do any U-turns on tax relief where it's going to be raising money. It's clear the evidence is showing that this cap, uh, the 10k cap in the workplace, will save the government money. So I think we can expect that the the taper will be around for a while longer. The If there's some consolation for individuals, there is carry forward still available. There's not long left for this tax year, which allows individuals to sort of go back three tax years and mop up unused pension allowances. So there's still a bit of headroom left perhaps to to make the most of unused pensions allowances for, for this tax year. But the taper, the bad news on the other side, is that the taper, if you're still pension saving as a high earner, the more carry forward is drained down, that the taper will really begin to bite, I would expect, from from next year onwards. And we can't expect any relief from the government on the taper. Well, thanks very much there to Josephine Cumbo, the FT's pensions correspondent. You can read her full article online from Friday at ft.com slash money or in the money section of the FT Weekend newspaper this Saturday. The new tax year may have got you thinking about making an investment on behalf of your children or grandchildren, perhaps into a junior ISA, junior SIP or even the new lifetime ISA for the under 40s. Paul Killick, founder of the wealth manager Killick & Co, has written a column in FT Money this week spelling out exactly why you should consider this. And he joins me now on the line to discuss. Welcome, Paul. Hello. So, nice to talk to you, Claire. your mantra has long been to pass down your wealth to your grandchildren rather than your children. Tell us why this is so. 
Well, I'd, actually, I'd go further than that. It's uh, great-grandchildren also these days. Okay. I think it's very interesting if you look at the, uh, the development of families over the last three centuries. In the 19th century, you had parents and children. In the 20th century, you had grandparents, parents and children. Increasingly, I think in the 21st century, the norm will become great-grandparents, grandparents, parents and children, four generations alive at the same time. And the royal family is already a classic example of, of, of just such a family. Mm. And of course, the danger is that inheritance tax will take a bite out of um, those different stages in life if you um, pass down your money. But also, if people give away their wealth too early, then they could live for longer than they think and risk not having enough for their social care costs. No, you're absolutely right. And that's one of the, one of the issues that I've faced in very nearly 50 years now of advising private clients is the temptation to give away money too early in order to make sure that you're on the right side of the seven-year rule, whereby under gifts and divivos, if you gift and live for seven years, then that gift is outside of inheritance tax. But that, of course, as I say, leads to the temptation that to, to give it away too early and so often in life, one lives longer than one expects, care costs are greater than one expects, and then you're in the awkward position of having insufficient funds left at the end of the day. So it's better to use other methods of, 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 of passing the monies down. As you rightly say, you know, if you the, the generations that I think we need to be worried about today are less the baby boomers and even the, the immediate children of the baby boomers. But it is the younger members of the family, the grandchildren and great-grandchildren, where governments are finding it increasingly difficult to provide the same benefits that those, and I speak as a baby boomer here, who've lived through the better days of the, of, of the benevolent state when they're in a position mm. to be able to afford it. And I think as we go forward, it's unlikely that they will be able to afford it to the same degree. And if you think about the four generations, if the 90-year-old leaves it to the 60-year-old, the taxman will take a, a bit out of it in the middle. And then the monies will not be invested much differently in the hands of the 60-year-old than they were in the hands of the 90-year-old. And then you wait another 30 years, and then the 60-year-old becomes a 90-year-old and leaves it to his 60-year-old. Taxman takes a bit again. So the, the, the family estate is not growing in any real value. However, if you leap down to, let's say, the great-grandchildren and the grandchildren, but missing the generation of the immediate children for some of the money, then you've saved yourself, with the great-grandchildren's event, you've saved yourself free inheritance tax dips into the capital. And in Um, your column this week, you particularly point out what the power of compounding could do if you do skip a generation or two and make investments for children today. And by the time they get to the age of 70, with compounding can be some absolutely fantastic growth, potentially. Absolutely correct. A single payment uh, of the amount of the JISA today, which stands at £4,128, a single investment on the day of the child's birth would be worth at 5% per annum, £125,600 at the at the age of 70. And, and that's just um, one investment of one, one investment JISA year. Of, uh, just one JISA in one year. If you were to do that, if, if, if the family were sufficiently able to go further than that and do, let's say, ten, the first 10 years of the child's life into a junior ISA, doing the maximum and assuming that it stays the same at £4,128, by the time the child has reached the 70th year, 
we've gone through a million pounds at 5%. So you're a million and 18,000. And and that 5% return is a real return. So that um, uh, ignores inflation. So that would be a million pounds in today's money, not in inflated money, which might not buy you as much. But that would be um, a real return. That's using the historic metrics that uh, have been worked out by uh, Barclays in their um, famous um, uh, equity guilt study, which demonstrates that over 119 years, the market has, the London market has grown by 5.1%. But interestingly, over uh, since 1925, the American market has grown by 6.6%. Both of those are real, real numbers um, uh, after uh, adjusted for inflation. Sure. Well, thanks very much there to Paul Killick. You can read his column, Compounding Can Be the Saviour of the Younger Generation, online now at ft.com slash money. And that does contain all of the scenarios mentioned in his segment just then and a full explanation of how those assumptions are calculated. We might all dream of having our own place in the sun, but owning a holiday home can be a costly business. Mortgages denominated in a foreign currency can be very risky, especially when you consider how much the pound has fluctuated since the Brexit vote. But even sterling-denominated mortgages can cost more than you think. Joining me on the line to discuss is Lindsay Cook, the FT's money mentor. Welcome, Lindsay. Hello. You were contacted by an FT money reader who wanted to get to the bottom of some unexplained charges on his holiday home mortgage. Tell me more. Well, he had a mortgage which was originally in Swiss francs, and when that became very expensive, he converted it to a sterling currency mortgage in Cyprus. But then he found that he was being charged £20 by his bank in the UK, and a similar amount for the bank in Cyprus, so an extra £40 a month. And he couldn't understand that. And because he had his mortgage denominated in sterling and he was paying the mortgage in sterling, what were those £40 fees actually for? Well, it had to go through the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunications Transfer System. Sounds complicated. Otherwise known as SWIFT. Right. Now, the bank, and I think all banks do this, charge a £20 transaction fee. But then, and the bank also, used a third-party bank because they weren't a big international bank. They used a third party, and the third party moved the money from sterling to euros and then back again. And then the 17 to £20 pounds was those trans- uh, currency charges. So those fees were, were charged because the, the intermediary of the non-foreign bank had to switch the payment into into euros in order for it to, to be paid. So you got to the bottom of why he was being charged that money. But when it comes to getting out of these fees, it's actually quite difficult. But you've spoken to various mortgage experts, as you relay in your column this week, to see what other readers could do if they have a foreign mortgage to bring down their costs. Yeah. Well, one of the problems, an additional problem, is the fact that the mortgage credit directive came in last year, March time, and it has reduced the availability of foreign currency mortgages. So people who earn in sterling find it quite difficult to get a mortgage in other currencies unless Mm. they have income in those currencies as well. If you have income because you use your holiday place and then rent it out, you can probably persuade the lender that you've got enough income from letting it out 
to pay the mortgage, but they're worried about movements in currencies that would leave you in bad debt. Indeed. But remortgaging your UK home and using the proceeds of that to fund the purchase of a holiday home abroad is another, albeit risky, idea that some of your commentators came up with. It is, and it is probably the easiest for most people to understand. And, dare I say, by the time you're thinking of buying a holiday home, you should have quite a lot of equity in your UK home. Mm. And therefore, it's possibly something that your bank or lender will be happy to help you with as long as you have you can meet the affordability because you still go through an MMR even if it is for a, a, a loan in another country. Well, thanks very much there to Lindsay Cook, the FT's money mentor. You can read her column, The Hidden Costs of Owning a Holiday Property, now at ft.com slash money and in this weekend's newspaper. And we can all continue to dream of having our own place in the sun in the meantime. That's all from The Money Show this week. If you've got a story you'd like the FT Money team to follow up or a question to pose to our team of financial experts, get in touch. Email us money at ft.com, tweet us at ftmoney or comment on all of our articles online at ft.com slash money. We'll be back next Thursday at the usual time. Goodbye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.